All right, so we are in the middle right now of a nine-week sermon series around the three loves that we constantly keep talking about here at Providence. Uh, and I want to just kind of review. What are those three loves? Don't look at the wall over there. So this is test time right here. What's the first love? And we, we say we love God together. Second, we love church family together. And the third one. We love our neighbors together. Amen. Yes. So today uh, I get to do the final sermon around we love God together. Okay. And um, the real focus that I want to give today is around loving God together as a family, as a church, can only be done through the scripture. So I want to I really hopefully from the scripture show you that if we are not together in the scriptures, we will not be able to love God together. We will not be able to accomplish that, um, that goal that we have to love God together. And so as Ellie uh, read from Isaiah 55, if you have your Bibles, I really want you to open up the Bible to Isaiah 55. This is the chapter that we're going to spend about hopefully 30 minutes in today. And while you're looking at your Bible, I just want to want to let you know a little bit about the background as to why I have chosen this passage. Uh, this really has come from uh, a full year where our community group, uh, basically when the pandemic started, we spent a full year in the book of Isaiah. We went chapter by chapter, and you know we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of a racial reckoning moment. There's economic collapse all around the world. And it was such a gracious gift that God gave us this desire to spend the whole first year of the pandemic here. And we just learned so many different things uh, about ourselves, about how America is really very much a par in parallel with what, what was happening in Israel during the time of the exile. And so I want to grab from some of those things today and hopefully uh, it will be something that will be a blessing to you. So... Uh, a little bit of context before we kind of dive into Isaiah 55, because there is some familiarity. If you've been going to church for many years, uh, this passage that we just read is probably something that you've, you've read, you've heard echoes of it. But I really want to center it in the context of the book, because I think when we do that, we're going to really understand at a deeper level what God is trying to say to us. So the book of Isaiah is a big book. It's right in the middle of the Bible, and it's 66 chapters. Uh, but it's really divided into two different books. So the first 39 chapters are really dealing with uh, God letting Israel know that they have really screwed up. Okay, God had sent for generations, for decades and generations, messengers, other prophets to beg to the people of God to turn around, that they, were, they had forsaken the, the words of the Lord, the words of Moses, that they had forsaken the covenants, right? And over and over in the Old Testament, we see Israel just kept ignoring God's word. And so the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are really basically God saying through Isaiah, okay, there's no more, like, judgment is coming. Like, I've been warning you graciously over and over and over again, and judgment is coming, and you are going to be in exile. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You're going to be out of the promised land. Um, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's pretty depressing, actually, spending 39 weeks on that, okay? Um, but then you have the second book of Isaiah. Is Isaiah 40 to 66. And so our chapter here, 55, is right in the middle of that. So we need to understand, okay, what's happening in this second book? 
Um, so contextually, now Israel is in exile. Babylon came in, destroyed the temple. So the temple is destroyed. The, 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 the Israelites are living in what I call the despair of destruction. Temple has been destroyed. That was the place, the touch point where, where, they, where they had intimacy with God. There was something about this temple that, that anchored them in their faith, and that is lost. There's loss of intimacy. The center of worship is gone. And so if you were a Jew at that time during the exile, that would have been really disorienting to you. Because all throughout the writings, okay, of Moses, um, God has been speaking to Israel. He pulled them out of, out of Egypt and he said to them, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to be my people and I want to be your God and you'll be my people. I'm preparing this special place for you. It's the promised land. You are going to be so blessed to be there, right? So everything about their story was about blessing. And while they were ignoring all of the messages from the different prophets, they were still caught off guard and surprised when God sent judgment on them. So, so, so there's no, no presumed intimacy with God through being in the promised land, through the temple worship. And so Isaiah 40, the second book, uh, the first two verses starts with this. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her sins have been paid for. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So now the, le- the next chapters from 40 to 66 is God saying, I want to bring comfort and hope to my people. Yes, I brought, I brought them into exile, but that's not where they're going to stay. And so our chapter here falls dead on in the middle of this section. Now, um, once again, if you were a Jew in exile right now, you, have, you probably haven't heard directly from God in a long time. right? The temple is gone. You're discouraged. The shine of being a Jew, the shine of being Israel, the apple of God's eye is gone. It's gone. There's no more patriotism. There's no more triumphalism left. And even worse now, you're in Babylon, and being a Jew is not popular anymore. And so now you have, and generations to come, have this temptation to enmesh themselves with the culture of the day, with the culture of Babylon. So all of those things are true. And so the question that I have for you is, do do you have any of those feelings today? Are you in any way discouraged about what's happening in the church at large in America are large. Maybe for you, you're here this morning and you are going through what I call spiritual long COVID. Spiritual long COVID, right? And, and you have lost the sense of smell and the taste of the goodness of God, right? The, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And maybe you're here this morning and you, you, you can honestly say like, I haven't tasted. I haven't seen in a long time. Well, you are in long spiritual COVID. Maybe you have given up on God. Maybe you're just hanging by a thread this morning. Maybe, just maybe, you haven't heard the voice of God in your life. Maybe because you haven't been in the scriptures in a long time, right? Or even worse, maybe you have been trying to be in the scriptures and you're still not hearing from God, right? This passage of Isaiah 55, I hope is an encouragement to all of you. So, uh, I've, I've divided this, this passage into three different points. I'm keeping it super simple this morning. The first is the invitation. There's an invitation 
then there's the problem, and then there is the solution, okay? So the first thing I, I want you to see here is, like I said, the people are in exile. They are separated from God. And in the first three verses here, God takes the initiative to pursue them. Look at the verse three verses. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and why labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and I will delight, and you will delight in the riches of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make you an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promise to David. So the first thing I want you to see is that there is an invitation. God takes the initiative, right? Israel is disobedient. They are being judged, and God comes to them. God doesn't wait for them to come to him. He comes to them. He comes to us. And the invitation is to a banquet, a feast. And in the scriptures, all throughout the scriptures, there's, there's images of banquets, right? And usually that means when, when, when somebody threw a banquet, when Jesus went to a banquet, it was a celebration. It was a, an invitation to relationship, to intimacy. And so here Isaiah is saying, come and eat what is good. Come and delight in the riches of fare. So the first thing I want you to know is, as we talk about we love God together, that the reason why we can love God together is because he first sought us. The New Testament says that we love because he first loved us. And here we see exhibit A of God loving us, pursuing us with this beautiful invitation. Second observation here is, look at who has been invited. Look at who this invitation has been extended to. It says, for those who are thirsty, for those who have no money, for those who are broke. Anybody in that category? For those who are hungry, they have no bread. For those who are laboring in vain and are not satisfied. Hopefully, that's probably all of us, right? This invitation is only for those who are aware of their needs. In our basement time uh, on Tuesday mornings, we have a, a basement. By the way, if you're new to Providence, basement is just basically a space that we create in our community groups to hear from God together from the scriptures. And so in our family for years, we have done Tuesday mornings. And this whole past year, 2021, we were in Luke. We're actually still in Luke chapter 19. Hopefully we'll be done before Easter. That's my goal. But one of the, the things that, about reading the gospel slowly together that we as a community group have been discovering is that one of the true indicators of somebody that has been, that, 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 that is going to come to Christ, that's going to accept the message of Christ, is this idea that they're aware of their brokenness and their need. And so when we read the Gospels, who is it that come to Jesus? It's usually what? The lepers, right? The poor, the widow, the, 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 the poor shepherds on the hill, the outcasts. They are usually the ones that primarily come to Jesus. And the rich as well, but it's far less. And the, one of the only examples actually we have in the New Testament is in Luke 19 where uh, Zacchaeus comes. He was a tax collector, super wealthy, and he came to Jesus once he acknowledged that he had stolen from all the people that he was collecting taxes from, right? 
And after he says, okay, I have stolen, I am going to repair everything, I'm going to pay everything fourfold, this is what Jesus says. Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. So, so this invitation goes to the lost, to the needy, to those who are aware that they are broken. And hopefully that is good news to all of us. Third observation around this invitation is that this invitation is gracious because it's free. And, and, and here's, here's what I get really excited about this. This banquet is not like a soup kitchen banquet, okay? Or, uh, if you're in high school, this is not like a high school lunch, okay? The food that we get in high school, that's not the type of banquet that, that God is here inviting us to. Notice also that there is a purchase and a price for the banquet. And, and the verse 1 says, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? So, so, so the banquet has a price. But somebody has already paid the price. By the time the invitation gets to us, somebody has already paid the price. Somebody has already purchased that banquet. So, so what I want you to see here, brothers and sisters, is that the only contribution we bring that we make to this banquet is our poverty. That is the only thing we're allowed to exchange without money and without cost. All we do is say bring our neediness, our brokenness to this banquet. And what do we get instead of that? The riches of fare. The riches of food. So the transaction has already been complete. And this is an echo to the cross, right? Where Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. It is complete. It has been paid in full. All of you come to this banquet. You're all welcome to come to the banquet. So one of the, uh, one of the things that our community group is going to do this Easter, uh, and if you know the Pena family a little bit, you know that this year we have been doing a, an outdoor project in our home. We're building a patio. Um, and so our goal this Easter is as a community group to come together, worship together, celebrate with you all. And then in the afternoon, we're going to go to my house and we're going to actually christen this patio, this outdoor kitchen and living room that we have created. And what the Lord has put in our hearts is to go out and invite um, the homeless that are living right now off of Steel Street and 36th. There is an actually a city approved homeless encamp encampment. And it's about five, six blocks from our home. And so we're going to go and invite them all to, this, to a banquet. We're going to throw a banquet, and our goal is to throw the riches of fair banquet for our neighbors, for our homeless neighbors. And so, yeah, you can be prayer for us. We're excited about this. We have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm picturing filet mignon and lobster. And, like, I mean, like, how can we celebrate? How can we tell our neighbors that Jesus is alive through food? I think that's possible. Right? Amen? So we're all saving our money because it's going to be expensive, but it's going to be great. Uh, so any, anyways, this is what we're invited to. And then last thing here about the invitation, and there's so much about this, but one more thing. This invitation is not a last-minute invitation. It's not just a spur-of-the-moment idea that God had uh, to invite us to this banquet. Now, 
I think probably most of us have done this, right? Have you ever invited somebody to a party or to a dinner at the last minute because you forgot about them or you realize that, oh, crap, they're going to be offended if I don't invite them, right? And so at the last minute, you, get that, you send that email, that text, hey, we're having a party. You're welcome to come, right? This is not like this. And uh, I was thinking about, about this, and my wife and I, I didn't talk to you about this, but uh, we made a mistake uh, in our wedding. <laughs> We, um, we, were, we invited like 300 people, and we didn't want to put a big burden on our families to like provide for this meal. So we just kind of simplified the playbook, and we said, we're just going to do this with our immediate families. And we're just going to go after the wedding to do a dinner. And uh, we got feedback that that was, that was not okay, right? That there was a lot of extended family that had been offended that we chose not to invite them to this intimate dinner. And so after getting a lot of that feedback, we opened up the, the dinner to extended family. So from like going from like 15 to 35, 40 people. Um, but as you can imagine, the damage had already been done, right? Everybody knew that we had invited them out of guilt. And that didn't feel very good. That was not a very good banquet, right? This is not what God is doing. This banquet is something that God has been thinking about from eternity past. From eternity past, God was already thinking about you and I. God already knew that we were going to be in exile. And God had designed this beautiful banquet to invite all of us to it. How do we know this? I love how the NLT translates the last part of verse 3. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised David. God had made a promise to Abraham, to David, that he was going to keep us in his family. And so from eternity past, God has been planning on us to be a part of this covenant community, to be a part of this banquet, to be part of this celebration. Isn't that love, brothers and sisters? All right, so that is the invitation, right? So now you think you're like, okay, why isn't everybody coming? Because not everybody's coming. God has got through so much trouble to, to make this invitation for us. He has been preparing this banquet for centuries, forever. This is not the first time that Israel had heard about this. From the time of Abraham and Moses, God had been inviting Israel to be family with him. To be his people and for him to be their God. And yet while they had heard this over and over from Moses and all the prophets, they chose to disobey God and turn to their own ways. This uh, Thursday, I was talking to uh, Ray. We, we have a discipleship group at 6 o'clock in the morning. And Ray was talking about how he just finished reading Second uh, Chronicles. And so as I was, yesterday as I was thinking about this, Second uh, uh, Chronicles came to my, my mind and there is a statement at the end of Second uh, Chronicles, chapter thirty-six, and this is what this is how this is how Chronicles summarizes Israel at the time. It says, "But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy for generations." They had despised, it says, his words. So, so to this invitation that we see in, in verses 1 to 3, to come and to listen, we now have to add the words seek, like we see in verse 6. 
wicked, forsake, unrighteous thoughts, turn to the Lord. Verse 6, seek, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. This urgency. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. So you see, we are no different than Israel, than exiled Israel. We as a church, I'm talking about the church at large, we are so good at replacing God's thoughts, God's words, God's ways with our own thoughts in our own ways. We're blind to it. Let me just give you a couple of simple examples, and there's tons. I don't want to spend too much time here, but let's talk about the idea of church. This is one of the things that we're focusing on this series, right? It's the idea of church. We as your pastors are seeing that there's all kinds of different thoughts coming out of the pandemic about what the church should be like. And it, it's, the church has been around for a long time, and it's okay for the church to adapt and all that. But at the end of the day, there are some words, some thoughts, some ideas that God has about what the church should be. And at the end of the day, God desires for his children that have been invited to this banquet to worship together from many nations, from many places, from many cultures. God desires for us to love one another, to serve each other, to sacrifice for each other, to break bread together, to be in the scriptures together. And so what are some ways in, this is we, in which this is being replaced? Right? We now have you know, virtual church, we have podcasts, we have people thinking that they can just have their own relationship with God apart from the church, right? Those are human thoughts. Those are not God's, God's thoughts, right? Another way in which we have forsaken God's ideas is, is in the area of our wealth, right? We as Americans are uber wealthy, and God has some very clear thoughts, if you read the Gospels, about how we're to use that wealth, that blessing that we have received for the sake of others, for to, to, to leverage it for the sake of those who cannot help themselves over and over. That's, that's so clear in the scriptures. And we as the people of God have come up with our own thoughts and our own ideas. And so, so now we have commercialism and we have wealth accumulation and, and, and we have political banter around, you know, how do we dispose of the safety net, the, 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 the government benefits, right? And, and there's injustice and inequality all around us, and we're okay with that, right? That is, that is in complete disagreement with God's ideas on how we're to live, how we're to use our wealth. So, so if you read the book of Isaiah, like we did in our basement group, you are, your eyes are going to be open in so many different ways about how we're in really parallel tracks. What was true in the time of Isaiah is very true in our time. So we have a problem, and the problem is that we have forsaken God's words. And so here's, here's the point that I want to make, that we need to recognize that any attempt to obey and respond to God's invitation, his gracious invitation, must face the vast gap between God's ways and thoughts and our thoughts. So look at verse 8 and 9. You've probably heard this before. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So the key question, family, that we must ask together as a church is, 
where do we find God's thoughts? Where do we find God's ways? And so in Scripture, there's, there's primarily three different ways in which the Scriptures testify that we can find God's ways and God's thoughts. One is God speaks to us through creation, through the natural world, right? That's clear in the Scriptures. God speaks to us through miracles and supernatural works. We see that in the Gospels. We see that throughout the, the New Testament and the Old Testament. And God speaks through his written word. These are the three primary ways in which God speaks to us. And I just want to spend a couple of minutes here trying to really help us understand uh, the role that each one of these types of ways that God speaks to us, the, 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 the level of priority that we should place on them. Uh, and I think Psalm 19 is a great place. You can read it sometime this week. Psalm 19 is, a, is an incredible place. It's probably the clearest place that uh, God has given us to really understand this. And so the first few verses of Psalm 19 talks about what I call the soundless word of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices go out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So this is talking here about how nature, how creation speaks loudly without words to us about God. So, so, so very clearly, we can learn something about God. So, for example, what happens, uh, we from Colorado, whenever we have the privilege to go to the ocean, and, and, and we're approaching the ocean and we're hearing the waves crashing on the rocks or on the beach, what's happening to your soul when that happens? Right? It affects us. What happens when we see the stars, when we, when we take time to go and see the stars, when we go and see the mountains, and we see the birds of the air? We are affected. Nature affects us. It, it often can move us to tears, right? Everything in nature, brothers and sisters, it's meant to sing to us. It's meant to speak to us about the love of God for us. It's meant to help us see that we are not alone, that there is meaning to our lives because there is one greater than us that loves us, okay? That's what nature is doing to us. So, so there's a sense in which we can definitely get information, meaning uh, from this way of communication. But here's the problem with this. As great as natural revelation is, it can often be mixed and unclear. Have you ever tried to communicate with somebody in a nonverbal way? It is possible. We can get a lot of communication. My wife, Courtney, is really good at this. So whenever, um, and the boys can testify to this, whenever I'm correcting our boys for doing the wrong thing, Courtney often is trying to give me nonverbal communication about how I'm actually doing this. The problem is that I often misinterpret what she's doing. Okay? Uh, it's easy to misinterpret. If I were to, uh, if, if you had to go and tell somebody, hey, meet me at the restaurant across Broadway on Tuesday at 7.30 without words, that, that gets a little more complicated, right? That gets a little harder. So, so nonverbal communication is okay, but again, it's easy to misinterpret. It's harder. And the same can be said about miracles, okay? In the Gospels, um, 
miracles are often misinterpreted. For example, uh, when Jesus did a miracle, um, the people interpreted it as, that's the power of Satan. He did it in the power of Beelzebub, the, 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 the power of the demons, right? Talk about a misinterpretation about <laughs> a miracle. Uh, the disciples, all throughout the Gospels, they're misinterpreting God's miracles. It's like, okay, that means that the kingdom is coming ASAP, right? Um, in, um, in the parable of, of Lazarus, the rich man that died, right? And he's talking to Abraham, and he's saying, hey, can you send Lazarus to go and speak to my brothers? Can you resurrect Lazarus so, so that they would believe and not end up in this place of torment like I have, right? And, and Abraham says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will, be, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead, right? So all of this, brothers and sisters, not to say that we shouldn't pursue miracles, that we shouldn't uh, expect to see miracles, right? All I'm saying is, is that nature and supernatural events can be easily misinterpreted. But here's the thing about the Word of God. At the second half of Psalm 19, it says that the Word of God is trustworthy. It says that it's pure, that it's firm. It says that the Word of God is right. And, you know, it's funny. I used to read that and say, okay, the Word of God is right. I was thinking about it. It's more like, okay, the Word of God is correct. The Word of God is true, right? And this week, as I was doing a little more deeper study into this, I discovered that. I was like, actually, I was, it's true. Of course, the Word of God is true. But that word right in the Hebrew there is so much deeper uh, than I even thought. It's, it's the idea of, of a straight edge. When he says the Word of God is right, it's like the Word of God is like a straight edge. It's, it's, the Word of God is the thing by which we measure other things. The Word of God is right. And so that's why this Isaiah can say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. This is the way in which we know God's thoughts and God's ways. This is the way that God has deemed for us to know this. So this is really important for us to know that the sure way to know God's thoughts and ways is through his written word. So family, if we are going to love God together, we need to be in the word. We need to center our lives around this book. And so now you may ask, why am I making a big deal out of the book, out of the Bible, out of the word of God? It's because this is the solution. This is the way in which God has deemed to bridge the gap between man and himself. God's word bridges the gap between heaven and earth. God's word bridges the gap between our thoughts and his thoughts. Our ways and his ways. And so look at verse 10. Read with me. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That is a promise from the Lord. I love that what one commentator said. He said, God's word never has to repent of failure. God's word will always accomplish that by which he was sent to. 
And so, so what I, I believe Isaiah is trying to get to us, I believe what God wants us to get out of this is that there is no amount of effort, brothers and sisters, that is going to bridge the gulf, the gap between us and God. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, in the same way that you and I are not able to climb our way to heaven, in that same way we are powerless to fill that gap. In the same way that we are unable to uh, climb from earth to heaven, there's no amount of effort that can do that. There's no amount of good works that we can do. There's no amount of intellectual rigor or rational thought that can bridge that gap. And so speaking to us more personally here as a family, what I want you to tell, tell you is that it is possible to have faith in Jesus, faith in God, to actually have a high view of the scriptures, to believe that this is the word of God, and yet to still be trying to bridge that gap by our effort. And so, so, so let me give you an example, and this is from personal experience. Uh, how many times have you at the beginning of the year said, okay, this year I'm going to like really like turn it around. Okay, I'm going to like really be in the scriptures. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do that my devotionals. I'm going to get up early, right? I mean, how many, I, how many times have we done this, right? And so we get up, we read the scriptures, uh, we spend time with God, and then we feel so good about ourselves. <laughs> it feels so good. You're like, yes, I've done it, right? But in reality, it's not like we were meeting with Jesus, it's not like we, we were applying the word and the Holy Spirit was bringing healing to our brokenness. No, we felt good, and I used to do this, and sometimes I do it still, because my conscience was feeling really good about it. My conscience felt great. It's like, okay, now God's going to be with me today. God's going to be smiling on me today. Oh, this is great. I start, what a great start to the day, right? Brothers and sisters, I can tell you from personal experience that that is putting effort. There's a way in which we can read the scriptures and still be putting our own effort into it. And my, my vision for us this year is that we would come to the scriptures, to the word of God, and let the rain and the snow come down from heaven. Let the word of God reign over our soul. And there's a way in which we can read the scriptures receiving Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Is if you're efforting, even in reading, if you, you will not get, it will not accomplish what God, that's not the way in which God designed the word of God to be received. So I want to plead with you, do not read the scriptures. Do not spend time with the Lord trying to bridge any gap. And so this is why we do this in community. So if you're not in a community group, I really want to encourage you. I, be, I believe what, what made a big difference in my life is when I started reading the scriptures and spending time in the scriptures in community. And letting the word of God just wash over us together. And so today is an invitation to spend time with the Lord through the word of God. And like we said, we love God together that if you are not in the word, we want to help you with that. You can see uh, Hunter, you can see myself, you can see Josh. We are more than happy to sit down with you, have coffee, have lunch, and really go like, what, what is the best way in which we can help you? But we desire that all of us here together as a family, we would love God together by spending time in the scriptures together. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for this church family. Thank you so much for your word. We are humbled that you from eternity past have, uh, have prepared a banquet for us. And you have paid for it in full, completely. You, the word of God, came down from heaven in the person of Jesus Christ to bridge the gap between us and you. And on the cross, you paid the full purchase of the banquet. You paid the entry fee for us. We have nothing to offer but our poverty, our brokenness, our own thoughts, Lord. Father, we exchange them joyfully for the richest affair in this banquet. Thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you for your church that you have left here on earth to help guide us, to help connect us to you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.